number 19. 1 Kings chapter number 19. Look at verse number 15. We'll go down through the end of the, of the chapter here. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse number 15. And the Lord said unto him, Go return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when thou comest, anoint Hazael to be king over Syria, and Jehu to be son, uh, Jehu the son of Nimshai, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel, and Elijah the son of Shaphat of Abel Meholah, shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. And it shall come to pass that him that escapeth the sword of Hazael shall Jehu slay, and him that escapeth from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. Yet have I left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. Lord, thank you so much for this, your word. I pray that you help us to, to put things in perspective in the context which it belongs, and then also to see the application for me today. So Lord, I pray that you just bless Help us to get something from your word here uh, this morning. Open hearts and eyes and minds. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to each one of us. Thank you for being such a great God. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to, to, uh, to listen as you speak to hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. This, of course, is in response of Elijah's discouragement. You remember he was running from Jezebel after the Mount Carmel experience, you know, fire coming down from heaven and consuming the sacrifices that proved that there was a God and it was not Baal, but it was God. God was the, the one and true God. And then uh, Jezebel gets a hold of that and, you know, uh, um, Ahab comes home and says, honey, you missed it. It's a church service where, you know, there's the two, the contest to see who was going to be God. And they built an altar for Baal and they built an altar for Jehovah God. And, and uh, uh, they cried and they asked their God to, to answer fire from heaven. And there was nothing, nobody answered anything all day long. And then he, Elijah moved him off to the side and he just prayed. It was, it was a, a two minute prayer, a minute and a half. He's, he said this short prayer and God uh, answered by consuming the altar with fire and the water that was around it. That was, they made it hard. They even poured water on it and, and filled the, the trench around it and it consumed the altar and the sacrifice and the water. And the people, they, they uh, uh, came to conclusion that the Lord God, he is the God. He's the one. And Baal was just an, uh, an apostle. Uh, uh, what do you call that? Uh, not, a, not an apostate. Imposter, yeah. <laughs> it was an imposter. Folks, I'm getting older, and as I'm getting older, it's getting worse. I was at the store the other day, and I'm asking this clerk for something, and I'm going, it's what, it's what, you know, what, yeah, you know, and, and she helped me, like you guys helped me. <laughs> I appreciate that. Anyway, so they, they found out that God was a true God, and Baal was an imposter, and, and then when that was all uh, known, uh, Elijah took and, and uh, killed the 450 prophets of Baal and the prophets of the groves and it destroyed them all. And Jezebel says, I'm going to get them. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and get them. And she promised, she, she sent a messenger to Elijah and said, by tomorrow, this time, you're going to be just like those that you've slain at the, at the brook. And it's all over with. And so he starts running from the Lord. He's discouraged. And, uh, and he gets out there and, and uh, uh, he's under that juniper tree. And, and the Lord says, Lord, what are you, uh, Elijah, what are you doing here? 
And he says, Lord, I'm, I'm here because, you know, I'm the only one that's standing for you. I've, I've done this and everybody else is gone and everybody else is, is, uh, has uh, uh, apostatized. And, and here, here I am. I'm the only one. There's nobody else. I'm, I'm the only one that's, that's stood for you. And, and, the, and the Lord says, okay. And he gives him this uh, solution. He says, anoint these guys. They'll take your place. And then he says, about those that have stood for you, don't worry about it says, I have 7,000 which have not bowed the knee. You think you're the only one. And discouragement sat in with Elijah. Went for his life. And we, we went over this. Why was he just so discouraged? Well, I think in this text, and you can see, as for one, a lack of fellowship. Verse number three of that chapter, he says uh, he left his servant. And then he went on. He didn't want anybody else to try to... Uh, interrupt his pity party to try to encourage him uh, in discouragement. We, we seem to enjoy this about being by ourselves and, and just uh, uh, allowing us to stew in our own uh, soup there. And, uh, but folks, the, the truth is we need church. We, we need others. We need the encouragement of others. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, there's no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. There's others that have faced this very same things that you have very same things that I have. He, he had that need of fellowship, but he didn't have, he was by himself. He had lack of fellowship and lack of bodily care. Remember verse number five down to verse number eight, where he was just in need. It was, it was stressful. It was, it was going and going and going. He needed to rest. He needed to eat. That's exactly the, the prescription that God gave to him. He rested. He woke up. He ate. He rested again. He woke up. He ate some more. And it was just, he needed to take care of himself. But most of all is, is verse number 10, verse number 18, he, he had the lack of the big picture. God, I'm the only one that's standing. I'm the only one that, that's speaking for you. And he didn't see with the, the, the different skirmishes, the battles that were going on. It's not, the, it's not the, the, the different battles that we face. It's the overall picture, who wins the war. And he had the, the, a lack of the big picture. I'm going to elaborate on this today, but he wanted God to work in his way. He wanted God to work in his time. He wanted things to, to go the way that he thought that they should go in his relationships, the way that he wanted it accomplished. He, he got this tunnel vision where he saw it needs to happen this way and he wasn't allowing God to be God. And so he didn't see the big picture. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. But then it was also because, and he was in discouragement because of that lack of intimate walk. In verse number 11, verse number 12, you remember when God shows the, the spectacular showing of, the, of the, the fire and the earthquake and the, uh, the, the wind, and God wasn't in those spectacular things. And then there was a still small voice, and that's what he needed. It's not in the spectacular or the big or the showy or the public display that you learn the Lord that you fellowship with him, that you learn to love the God of your salvation. No, no, it's in the private, intimate prayer closet, the devotion, the, the fellowship that you have with him. Nothing, folks, nothing replaces that close walk with the Lord. How are you doing there? How am I doing there? Am I, am I taking the time every day to open his word and, and just be with him? You need that. Listen, Elijah needed that. And it was because that lack of that intimate walk. He had the spectacular, but it was that intimate walk that he needed with the Lord. 
Now, looking at Elijah's problem, he, he just couldn't see the big picture. He just saw the con conditions surrounding him. He didn't see what God was doing around him or what God was going to do in the future. He just saw where he was at that point and he got discouraged. Not seeing the purposes of the Lord, Elijah's journey was too great for him. And that's what the angel said in verse number seven. He says, Elijah, this is too much for you. Folks, when we try to do God's work in our own steam, it's always too great for us. Always. We become overwhelmed and discouraged and impatient. So Elijah complains, verse number four, the last part of that verse, verse number 10, verse number 14, and he's complaining to God. And he's saying, I'm the only one. And listen, this is a, a bad situation that's, that's happening right now. And then God in our text attempts to key Elijah in on the fact that he's not the only one that's left. As a matter of fact, the anointing responsibility, verse number 15 through verse number 18, that he tells our text today, it's given to him to assure him that although he doesn't know it or doesn't see it, he's not alone. God is working. Look at God's response to Elijah's pity party, his, his sorry self-depression. He says, get up and anoint, in verse 15, he says, anoint Hazael. And that does happen. We're not going to turn there right now. That does happen in 2 Kings chapter 8, verse number 12. You can just jot that down. You can read it later. And that, that does happen later. And he says, anoint Jehu, in verse number 16. This happens in 2 Kings chapter 9. It was indirected, but it was all connected. He anointed Elisha, which anointed Jehu. And then anoint Elisha. In verse number 16, he says, Elisha is going to take your place. And this happened later on in, that, in our chapter, in our text. First Kings chapter 19, beginning with verse number 19, that's what he does. And by the way, this is a, this is a cool story. I, you know, I'm, I'm trying to fly through this and just hit certain points and go on, but you don't know what to leave out because it's just neat. Everything, everything about this, this passage of Scripture, the story, the events about anointing Elisha, maybe we'll, we'll catch that in the next, even though the purpose, uh, that would be a rabbit trail. And that's okay. Rabbit trails are okay, all right? Just uh, don't, don't get all worked up about that. But it'll be a wonderful rabbit trail if we decide to go down there. But then that is an anointing uh, Elisha. And then he says in verse number 18, God says, and now listen, I have 7,000 that have not bowed the knee to Baal. Now, <clears throat> At Mount Carmel, you know, when the, the, the challenge of the two altars, he comes in there and he says, why halt ye between uh, two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. If Baal, then follow him. Make up your mind. Don't try to have a foot here and a foot there and both sides and try to hang on to both things and serve God and also serve the world or, or the devil. He says, it can't, you make up your mind. You make up your decision. And when he asks that question, the people didn't say a word. Why? Well, because inside in their hearts, they were undecided. Didn't exactly know. They, they didn't exactly understand at that point that no, God is the, is the God and he's the one that's supreme and he's the one <coughs> that has all things in his hand. He is, he is all powerful, but see, they, they actually, maybe they heard that 
Maybe they've been to Sunday school where they, some teacher told them that, but you know what? They didn't, they didn't live that. They didn't feel that. They didn't know that in their heart. And he says, hey, listen, if, if the Lord be God, then follow him. But if Baal, follow him. And they said nothing. And you know what? Here's Elijah looking over the children of Israel, the same children of Israel that the the miracles from Egypt, the 10 plagues, getting them out of Egypt, watching God do miraculous things, providing for them in in wonderful ways. And then you have the prophets and then you have King David. And and so here they are and they should know they should be serving God. But they were. And so, yeah, you can understand why Elijah was so bummed. I'm the only one. God, I'm the only one that's, that's, that's standing for you. But what we don't see here, and it's not said, and you'll not find it in the scripture, but you know it's got to be there someplace because the Lord said there's 7,000 that haven't bowed the knee. And they're mine. And they'll stand for me, and I'll use them. I'll use them in a great way. And here's Elijah, the crowds of Israel all around them, and everybody showed up. You remember, it's after the three and a half years of famine where God brought the entire nation down to its knees, and everybody was listening. You could hear a pin drop when Elisha speaks because they were wanting to hear what, what he said, that uh, he was representative of God, and nobody stood for him. But you know what? There was a 12-year-old boy. Let's call him Joey, Okay. Joey was there because his dad and his mom and the family went there that day because uh, there was going to be this showing. Elijah shows up and, and he's, he says there's going to be a contest and we're going to prove who, who. And so here's Joey and he gets his friends. He gets his little brother together and they, 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 he gets his friends down the block and they're all excited about this saying, hey, it's going to be Elijah. Now, Elijah was the same prophet that showed up on the scene uh, some time ago. In miraculous ways. God blessed him in miraculous ways. God provided from him, for him. You remember when, when he was uh, uh, away that three and a half years, he went to the, to the brook Cherith and God fed him with ravens in the morning and the evening. They brought him, they, they brought him uh, bread and flesh in the morning, bread and flesh in the evening. It was just some miraculous things. Everybody else is starving to death and everybody else can't survive and God is providing for him day by day. And then he goes to the woman of Zarephath. You remember that story where where she's got her last uh, barrel of meal. There's just a little bit of of, uh, uh, flour in in the bottom of that barrel. Elijah comes by and he, he says, make a cake for, for me first and then, then eat. And she says, uh, sorry, the only thing I have is one meal. Me and my son, and she had no, no husband. She was a widow. She, and there was a famine going on. There was no way that she was going to provide. And so she's looking for, for sure destruction. And she says, we only have one more meal and that's it. And he says, listen, God said he'll take care of you. Provide me a meal first. So she obeyed. She took that last uh, amount of, of corn or, or flour that she had and with the oil, she made him a cake, presented it to him. And he says, go now feed yourself. She says, it's gone. He says, go feed yourself. She looked, sure enough, there's a little bit more. Took that out. And that day, they, they were okay. The next day, uh, he, he gets up and he says, okay, ma'am, uh, I'm kind of hungry. It's breakfast time. Could you make me a meal? You know, and she says, we, we ate it yesterday. It's gone. He said, no, no, go make the meal. And so she goes, and sure enough, there's, there's more for, for another meal. And the Bible says she did that many days. And God provided for her. God provided for her son. 
God provided for her through that, that famine. And I can see Joey's grandmother or great aunt or somebody that would tell stories of Elijah and how that, that uh, you know, God had anointed this prophet and he was, he was this, this uh, the man of God that, that uh, uh, there was some miraculous things that had taken place. And, and how Elijah came on the scene and how that God had anointed him specially and, and heard stories about the miracles and heard stories about God's providence and heard stories about Elijah, the man of God. And so here, little Joey and his friends, they say, hey, listen, it's, uh, did you hear that, that Elijah's going to be there with all the prophets of Baal? It's going to be Elijah on one side and all the prophets of Baal on the other. And they're going to have this contest. I'm going to go. And dad says, all right, you can go, but just don't get in the way. Listen, this is important stuff. And so they all gather, all the, the host of Israel's there together and all the children, all the families. And there's a lot of joys. There's about 7,000 of them. See, he's about 11 or 12 years old at this point. But he was there. And he saw what was going on. And he saw the, the, the contest. And he saw the, 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 uh, the, the uh, call to commitment that the people, the adults didn't have. But you know what? That little Joey did. And his friends did. And maybe his little brother did. And, and there, was, there were 7,000 of them that were there. And God says, now listen, don't you worry about how I'm going to take care of things. You know, here's, here's Elijah. He's looking around. And he's saying, listen, I'm the only one. There's nobody faithful. <coughs> there's nobody standing any longer. And, and um, it's just me. And, and God says, don't you worry about it. Alone? Are you kidding? No way. I have Elisha. He's going to be your predecessor or the, your... Uh, what was that? Concessor. Successor. Successor. Thank you, congregation. There you go. <laughs> I have a thesaurus congregation. <laughs> I need you. Thank you. I need you. Oh, I need you. So go ahead and keep it up. Keep it up. He was the successor. Elijah. Elisha was. You remember who Elisha was? And we're going to find out about here in the next few weeks. He was the guy that, that poured hands on Elijah. He was just his servant. He, he just came along to serve Elijah, to, to be his, his accomplice, to be his assistant. And, and he would just be wherever he was. And, and uh, um, he was kind of a, he was kind of a um, oh, what's the word for it? Uh, a bug, uh, a nuisance. He was kind of a nuisance for Elijah. It's Elijah and Elisha. You can get that mixed up. The first guy, the man of God, spectacular guy, Elijah. And then you have Elisha. And Elisha that came along, I mean, he was just right in there. And, you know, uh, the time that Elijah was supposed to be taken back to heaven on a chariot of fire, you know, he, he was kind of cued into that. And every time that Elijah went someplace, he says, Elisha, you stay here. I'm going here. He says, no way. I'm coming with you. And so he comes with him. And, and so then he, he's over here and he's over there. And he says, okay, Elisha, you, you take care of these things. I'm going to go over here. And he says, no way. I'm sticking with you. And he stuck with him and he stuck with him and then finally before he leaves he says okay Elisha I'm leaving today what is it that you want you ask whatever it is blank check God says give you your request what would you ask if if it was from God I mean if I had a check and I gave it to you and I say here go ahead write it out it's a blank check for you on my bank account <laughs> it's not worth much <laughs> 
<laughs> you might write it for a couple hundred bucks and it might bounce, you know? But if it was God's bank account, oh, goodness. That's what he said. He says, God said he's going he's gonna to grant you your request. What do you want? Anything. You name it. Elisha looked at Elijah and says, I want double. I want double the miracles. I want double the, the spectacular uh, power of God that was shown upon your life. Whatever you got, I want twice that spirit. And he goes, that's a hard one, kid. <laughs> that's a tough one. But if you watch me when I'm taken up, then there you go. God will grant that request. That's another message. We're not going to be dealing with that. We'll do, deal with that later. But that's the, kind of, that's the kind of guy that Elisha was. After Elijah went back to heaven, he dropped his mantle, picked it up, went by the river Jordan. And, and this was the same mantle that Elijah used that when he did the, the great miracles. He took that mantle and he smote the waters and he says, where is the Lord God of Elijah? And the waters parted and he walked through on dry ground. Did you know that Elisha? Look at it. In the word of God, miracle for miracle did twice what Elijah did. Two times. And you know what? If, if you count the miracles of Elisha's life, sure enough, God granted him twice the miracles. However many miracles that was, he had twice that. Well, minus one. You know, if you take a look at it and say, well, there you go. You know, God said he was going to grant them two times the spirit and the power and the, and the spectacular show of God's power. Um, but you know what? Even after Elisha's death, he was there in the grave. And the Bible says that there was somebody that they tossed as a dead person, a corpse. They tossed into the same uh, the same hole, the same place that Elisha was buried when his bones touched the, the, the carcass of Elisha. Elisha. He re revived and he got out of there quick, I'm sure. <laughs> sure enough, t double, double the miracles. Wow. Now, th that was Elisha. Elisha was, was the, the guy to carry out Elijah's plan or God's plan. Listen, he was, he was first in line. He was the one that wanted to see God work. He was willing and he was ready and anxious. He was even more excited and desirous about the work of God than Elijah was, which, which was amazing. And Elijah, God says, Elijah, don't you worry about it. You're so discouraged, alone? Wait a minute. We have, we have Elisha. He's, he's going he's gonna to do twice what you're going to do. We have Haziel. That's what it says in, in uh, uh, the, the uh, uh, solution that God gives to Elijah. It says, don't worry about it. We're going to anoint Hazael. Now, you got to understand that Hazael was a wicked king. He wasn't a believer. He wasn't following the Lord. He wasn't part of the children of Israel. He was, he was on the other side of things. But you know what? Ben-Hadad, which was the Syrian king that, that destroyed Israel, needed some punishment and God used Hazel to do it. He used Hazel as his, as his tool. You know what God's saying? Uh, uh, listen, Eli Elijah, I can use any instrument I want. This heathen king, right. He was not a saint. He was not concerned with God's will <coughs> at all. Listen, that defies expectations. 
How could God use a heathen king? Well, you know what? God can use whatever he wants to use. You know, in, in the Old Testament, you'll find that God used a uh, donkey. You remember? Dealing with Balaam? Balaam's ass. He used the donkey to speak to Balaam. I wish I would have I been there. <laughs> when I get to heaven, I'm renting that DVD. I really am. <laughs> Because I want to see the, the expression on Balaam's face when the donkey says, what are you doing beating me like that? <laughs> and instead of Balaam saying, I'm talking donkey, whoa. No, he says, I'm beating you because you're judging it on. And he's, <laughs> I wonder how a donkey sounds. You got some in Congress that might sound that way right now. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> God can use a donkey if he wants, and he did. He used a gourd in, in uh, uh, Jonah's day. You remember? Uh, he's trying to teach Jonah a lesson. He's sitting there waiting for God to destroy Nineveh, and, but they repented, and God gave him grace, and he, he's just such a bitter man, and, and God uh, had a gourd grow above him to give him a little bit of shade. and had a little bit of comfort, and then the next day, the gourd withered, and they had no shade, and he cursed that gourd, and God was saying, hey, is it right for you to be mad at a gourd? You know, God used a gourd to speak to Jonah. God used a muddy river to help Naaman the Syrian. It says dip seven times in the Jordan when it's overflowing its banks. And he says, wait a minute. There's, there's better rivers from where I come from in Syria. Listen, there's a, there's a whole lot of better places. I could just dip there. Why do I got to come here and be humiliated? And, you know, listen, God used that river. God used a shepherd's staff. Here's Moses climbing on the side of Mount Sinai, and he comes to that, that burning bush. And God speaks to him out of the bush. And he's afraid, and he's... And, and God says, I want, I want to use you to bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. He says, Lord, how are you going to do that? He says, what's in your hand? It's just a stick. Just a shepherd's staff. That's all it was. It wasn't anything. It's an old stick that I just picked up to, to balance myself on this mountain. I was able to spend time with, with uh, John's uh, son, Tony, the other day. And we went out hiking out, out here. And I, I had my pocket knife and I tore down a, a branch and I, I made him a, a spear. <laughs> cool. And I, I made the end of it sharp. Okay, go kill it. You see that duck over there? Go get it. <laughs> Couldn't get near it, you know. And then there's a Canadian goose comes along and said, yeah, go ahead, get that one. <laughs> I want to see this. <laughs> You know what? And by the way, we got back to the house. I mean, that, that stick was, was important to Tony. He's going to take it home and show his dad that he's a great white hunter. And he learned how to chunk that thing and stick it in the, in the ground and stuff. And it's like, really cool. I mean, it's important. It is just a stick. Here's, here's Moses. He just had a stick. He says, what do you mean? What's in my hand? It's a stick. It's a staff. He says, throw it down. He threw it down and became a snake. He says, pick it up and became a staff again. He says, you take that and you go into, into Egypt and you bring the most powerful nation on earth down to its knees. 
because they, they, they have pride against me. And he used, a, he used a stick. He used a coin. You remember in Jesus' day when they said, uh, Lord, you're supposed to be paying taxes and, and you owe the government. And he says, Peter, I want you to go get a fish. And so he, he fished. He pulls a fish out of the uh, Sea of Galilee. And he says, now, take a look at that fish. What's in its mouth? He looks in that fish and it had swallowed a coin. It's a gold coin or whatever is in there and didn't, didn't go down all the way. It was just right there in the mouth. He says, here, take that and, and pay. He used the Where'd that coin come from? I don't know. Some, some kid was with his dad fishing sometime and, and they were out there on some Saturday and having a good time and and boat kind of shook and, and his, his bag of coins fell out. God says, I'm using that coin right there for this time right here. And you know, God used a coin. How about that? What do you know? God used a sling and a stone. You know the story about David and Goliath. God used that unclean bird with Elijah to feed him. Five loaves and the two fish. You remember that where... There, there's thousands, 5,000 men, and that means with women and then children, it could have been 12,000 on that hillside. Twelve, can you imagine 12,000 people and the Lord says, feed them, don't send them away, you feed them. It's, we got nothing, Lord. And his kid says, well, I got this, is what I brought, brought five loaves and two fishes. And then Andrew says, well, this is what we got, but what is that among so many? The Lord said, well, give it to me, just... How about you let me do something with it? And he, he blessed it, and they break it, and they distribute it, and distribute it, and distribute it. And there was 12,000 with 12 baskets of fish and bread left over. I heard some uh, uh, agnostic atheist that was going over these miracles and they said well they weren't really miracles everybody really had a lunch that they had that they were sitting on and they were just going to be selfish about it and whatever it's time to eat and this little kid gives you know his lunch he gave it all and they all took out their lunch and they said yeah we should all share and, and so they all fed themselves <laughs> that's 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 more miraculous than the feeding of the five thousand you know that's ridiculous but God used, hey, God used five loaves and two. You know what? God used the amputated fingers of a corpse once to write on the wall. Remember when the king was, was praising the gods of silver and the gods of gold and using the temple utilities. And God says, enough, that's enough. You've been weighed in the balances and found wanting your history. And he, and he took, the, the Bible says, the fingers of a man's hand. That's it, just the fingers of a man's hand. Where'd that come from? Don't ask. <laughs> Who knows? But you know what? God used that. Like the king, you know, when he saw that, the fingers of a man's hand writing his, his uh, death sentence on the wall. And the Bible says that, that he, he got so scared that the, the, the joints of his limbs got loose and his, he's there knocking his knees together. <laughs> wow. You know what? When you see what God has used over the centuries... 
You think God could use you? Yeah. If you're willing, if you're yielded, God could use you. You know what? God could use your testimony. The song today that the, that the quartet sang, by the way, great job. You know, someone testify, you know, talking about testifying. You don't need to testify just with a, with a uh, tambourine. <laughs> you know, what that means, though, you speak up and you, you tell your neighbors and your friends and your loved ones what the Lord did for you. God will use that. He'll use your testimony. He'll use my testimony. He'll, use, he'll actually pick up and use me if I'm willing. Listen, God used Hazael, a, a wicked king, to do his bidding. He says, Elijah, don't worry about it. I'll use Elisha, your, your uh, successor. I'll use Hazael. I'll use Jehu. Now, this one we don't even get into right now because this is such, I love this guy. I love this guy for the one verse in the Bible that I, I count as my own. It's Jehu. When he was driving to do God's will, he was in that chariot, and he was, he was I mean, he was just cooking along there. And they were saying, okay, who's coming? Who's coming? He says, I'm not really sure because whoever it is, but it looks like Jehu because he's driving furiously. <laughs> he's like, That's a man after my own heart, drives furiously. Anyway, so, and, and Jehu got the job done. I'm telling you, Jehu got the job done. And when he exterminated Jezebel, it's like one of those movies that you watch and it's, it's the up and comings and it's so good to see that, to see what, what actually happened there. It's just, well, we'll get into that in the future, I'm sure. I, I, I don't want to skip that one. But anyway, so God says, wait a minute, Elijah, you're the only one? No, no, we've got Elisha, we've got Haziel, we've got Jehu, and I got 7,000. You see, the 7,000 12-year-old boys, 11, 12-year-old boys that were, were at Mount Carmel that didn't say a word. It wasn't their place. It was their parents' place, but they were just observants. They, they were just watching what was going on. Those, those little boys back then were going to be carrying the nation. In 1 Kings chapter 20, verse number 15, and he numbered the young men of the princes of the provinces, and they were 232. Those are the captains or the, the ones that were, were calling the shots. And after them, he numbered all the people, even all the children of Israel being 7,000. Did you know that in that battle, when they were so outnumbered, the Bible says it looked like they were just a little flock of kids among thousands and thousands of the enemy. And there was 100,000 that day. 7,000 against 100,000 that they destroyed. And then God wiped out 27,000, crushing them with a wall. He was just kind of helping out the, 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 uh, the troops there. 127,000 uh, of the enemy that these 7,000... See, but the thing about it was in 1 Kings chapter 20, this was five years later. Those 12-year-old boys weren't five years anymore. They were the, the young men. Matter of fact, they were even noted as young men in, when they were talking about this army coming from the Israelites of these young men that were, that were uh, uh, made up the, the 7,000. Grassroots righteousness, courage, volunteers. What a group. So 
real quickly, let me, let me kind of wrap things up here. Why did, why did Elijah become discouraged? Well, he became discouraged for one, for pride. He thought, I am irreplaceable. I'm the only one standing. Nobody's doing what I'm doing. I'm the only one that you're going to use. I'm irreplaceable. And God says, no, here's this guy that's going to do twice as much of you. And then he thought, well, God, you can't use this guy and you can't use this guy. And he was, he's a perfectionist. He had pride and perfectionism. There's nobody perfect to use. You can't use anybody. And God says, no, wait a minute. I'll use this unsaved king out here. I'll use anybody I want to use. And he uses Haziel. And then the polarization that he had, because he looked out there and he says, Jehu? What do you mean Jehu? Jehu is one of the opposition. He's one of Ahab's troops. You can't use him because he looked as though he was sold out. He was in Ahab's employment. And then check it out. Sure enough, that's where Jehu comes from. But it was his family that, that was so far gone, Jehu naturally would have been just like them. But you know, God's in the business of turning people around. And, and taken out of wherever to use. I mean, some of you, you know, if I knew you in your unsaved days, where were you? And God's using you now. And God's blessing you. And God's, listen, if you were to know me before I was saved, you wouldn't want to know me. <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm not the kind of, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be the, the influence that you would want around your family or, or anything. But you know what? God got a hold of me. He turned me around. He could, you know what? He could turn anybody around. It doesn't matter. God's in the business of turning people around and changing hearts. And then Elijah got discouraged because he just presumed. Mount Carmel, God's nobody standing for me. And he says, I've got 7,000. He looks around and he says, oh, they're children. He presumed that, God, you can't use them. They're children. Well, you know, about five, six years later, he used them big time. These 12-year-old kids were now men. You know what? God's looking for some people to use. We got a church, and I thank the Lord for this church. I thank the Lord for the families of this church, and the, especially the young people. Folks, we have some young people around here, some kids, and Many of them are in uh, junior services right now, and we have nursery and up, you know, through, through the church. You've got some young people that there's, not everybody, but there's a few that would say, you know what, I'll stand for God. I'll do what God wants me to do. I'll be there. I'll, I'll be available. God, if you want to use me, if you could use me, I'll be available. The Bible says in 2 Chronicles 16, 9, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. How about some here? God use you? He can. He can. See, sometimes we just, we don't see the big picture. Elijah surely didn't see the big picture and that's what got him so discouraged. You know what? Don't, don't judge things on, on a snap judgment, on a, on a photo of where you're at right now. Because God wants to do some great things. God wants to bless you. And, you know, the, a battle that might be lost here or there, it's not the war. Let's not get discouraged because we're, we're not able to see the big picture. Look at the big picture. God wins. He always does.
Every head bowed, nobody look for just a moment.